All right, you guys are gonna have to, going to have to be a little bit uh, energetic today. It looks a little sparse, um, so I'm going to need you guys to participate a little bit. Otherwise, I'm going to maybe fall asleep up here if you all sit dead-faced. So whether we need to open some windows and let the breeze in, I don't know. Um, but we're going to get through what we have today. My name's Ryan, for those of you who don't know me. Thank you, Lizzie. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to spend much time introducing myself. I've done that the past couple times I've been up here. We have kind of a lot to talk about today, so we're just going to end up diving into this. But I do want to say, if I haven't got the chance to meet you, I've said this before, come up to me afterwards. I want to get to know you. God's church here, Stonebridge Church, we love community. We like to get to know each other, so I do truly want to get to know you, introduce my family to you, learn a little bit more about you. So come up after the service uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you. Today we're going to be going through 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. Go ahead and flip there. Um, you guys are going to be responsible today for using your own text. I'll end up having a little verse up here just because we're going to dissect a portion of this a little bit deeper, um, but use your apps, your Bibles, whatever it is. When Matt asked me to cover this, uh, he said it was going to be a little more challenging than what I've covered before, which isn't hard to believe because this is only my third time up here. So he said it's going to be a little more challenging. He warned me. I didn't really shy away from that. I typically like challenges. But as I begin, and just so you know, he's not here today, so that should be my first sign that he really wanted no part of this. <laughs> but anyway, as I started digging into this, um, I found John Piper, if anybody who's familiar with Pastor John Piper, he says that this text is bleak and ugly and that he would never choose to speak over it. So here I am. Um, and it's really at that point I just wanted to give this back to Matt, but I didn't. Uh, but the weight of this text, the weight of Paul's message to Timothy, I think really began to sink into my heart a little bit and the Holy Spirit began to convict me in a few different ways. So like I said, the text that we have today, it, it is a little bit heavier. Um, we can remember that Paul, or this message, is inspired by God. Paul gave it to Timothy. He's giving it to us, so we know there's going to be hope in it. We'll get to the hope-filled parts, but we've got to work through some heaviness first. One thing I want you guys to remember as we work through this is the heaviness of it. Don't let the heaviness of this drown out the gospel message. Okay, The gospel is why this message is being written. Um, and Paul would really want us to remember that as we reflect on what he uh, had for Timothy and what he has for us. So let's dig into this. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. It says this, But know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, They'll be slanderers, they'll be without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. They'll be traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth." Just as Giannis and Yambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regards to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Giannis and Yambres. Verse 10. 
But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystria, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. So in short here, Paul, he's really giving his sternest warning to Timothy, and he's telling him to avoid, to expose, and to battle spiritual impostors and spiritual heresy within the church. So let's look at verse 1. He starts by saying, but know this. Know this, Timothy, hard times will come in the last days. Okay, so we'll look at this word hard. I don't think the word hard in general does justice to really what Paul is trying to say here. Um, some of your guys' translations will use the word perilous, which perilous is, de- is defined as full of risk or danger, exposed to imminent risk of disaster or ruin. Okay, so Paul's not just telling Timothy to be alert because hard days are coming. We've all walked through hard days. He's not telling him to be alert because hard days are coming because of natural disaster. We've all walked through some of that too. He's telling Timothy to be alert because perilous times are coming, destruction is coming, deception is coming, disaster is coming. And he says, look at verse 13. He says, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's going to come from the form of the wicked and depraved ways of man. All right, so he starts the text by saying, Paul, or Timothy, be alert. These, this destruction, this deception is coming, and he ends by saying it's going to come in the ways of man. All right, so those are our bookends. We're going to kind of work to fill in the middle here and, and uh, eventually get to some hope. But this is why John Piper calls this text bleak and ugly. Um, first, we need to kind of unpack the, the ugliest portion of all of this, and it's verses 2 through 5. You can go ahead and post those up on the screen for me. It's all of these attributes that, that Paul is talking about, um, and I want to go through these in depth because it's easy to, to sit here and gloss over them and just read our text and not spend enough time thinking about the destruction and, and the devastation that all of these attributes are going to bring. It's also easy to sit here and think or forget the fact that we're all one poor choice away from falling victim to many of these things. So as we process these, we can be so thankful for the grace and the sanctification of God that purifies our hearts and really keeps us from being uh, trapped by these things. So as we go through this, I want to remind you, if you're here and you begin feeling convicted or you begin feeling the weight of these attributes that we're talking about, know that you're not alone. I felt it as I was preparing this message. You're not alone. And there's a God who wants to continue extending his love to you. Okay? He says to us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And I'm so thankful as we reflect over these that as a child of God, and hopefully for all of you, most of you as a child of God, our eternal life is going to be separate from all of these attributes. Okay, so we can, we can find some hope in that. We do need to go through these, though, because Paul's warning us about these. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, each individual attribute, then I'm going to give a word or a phrase that goes along with it so our hearts kind of comprehend these a little bit better. So work through these with me. We start with lovers of self. All right, we're all told to love ourselves unconditionally. Right? Go out these doors, do what you want to do, be who you want to be so that you feel loved, so that you feel important. Right? That's what we're told. These people, these lovers of self, have an inflated and dangerous idea of their own importance. Lovers of money, these are going to be covet- 
covetousness, people who struggle with covetousness, okay, they have an extreme greed for wealth or material gain, they're materialistic. See, boastful, these are bragging people, like um, in these warmer months when you hear the crows, their raucous voices from the trees, that's what these people are going to be like. They're going to be incredibly boastful, proud, these are arrogant people, demeaning, they're sarcastic or slanderous, they're wanting to be hurtful. We'll see people who are disobedient to parents. Okay, these are going to be probably younger people uh, who they allow sin to rule over godly authority in their lives. We'll probably see that, that translate over to um, older people with, with other authority over their lives as well. Ungrateful, we'll see dissatisfied, unholy, sinful, and wicked, unloving, hating, and heartless, irreconcilable, they're at incompatible, they're at odds, they're, they're incredibly unwilling to forgive. We'll see slanderers. Uh, these are people who are going to find joy in distorting what others say and do. People who are without self-control, these are or un, unconstrained, they're going to be a slave to their futile appetites. We'll see brutal people, these are oppressive, they're searing, they're going to be very difficult to endure. We'll see uh, people who are without love for what is good. These are prideful people. They're going to be blind to their moral beauty. Traitors, they're like snakes in the grass. They, they love breaking promises for their own gain. Their intention is to break promises. Reckless, these are people who are going to push headlong without caution, being rash or careless. See conceited people, they're vain and blind. We'll see lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These are going to be people who find more joy and fulfillment in the stim or they, let me get that right. They find more joy in the futile and stimulating thrills of the world rather than the admiration of God. And we'll find people who hold to the form of godliness but deny its power. These are going to be people who use religion as a platform per, for personal gain. So we have 19 attributes here, and Paul says all of these, we see these today, but he says all of these are going to grow with intensity as we continue nearing the return of Christ. Now look at the first one. Uh, it says, for people will be lovers of self. Now it is no surprise to me that lovers of self is first on that list. Okay, And I'm going to be bold enough to say all of us have a massive love affair with ourselves, and we don't have to be taught this. Okay, This love for ourselves is very simply our desire to be happy, and we are often willing to stop at nothing to acquire this. But this is not what God has designed for us. Okay, it's so important for us to understand that our hearts were designed to love, to adore, and to worship something. Right? Our hearts were uniquely created by an almighty God and crafted in a way that they find most joy and most fulfillment when they are in awe over someone. The problem is we all struggle with this battle that uh, Pastor Paul Tripp calls all wrongedness. Okay, when our hearts are looking to adore something horizontally instead of vertically, everything that follows is tainted with evil. Right? When we put ourselves in a place where God alone is supposed to be, an endless gamut of bad things will happen. Uh, Romans 1, let me read some of Romans 1 here. Romans 1 actually gives a really good example of this all wrongedness or this misdirected love that I'm talking about. If you want to flip there, you can. If not, I'll just read it. It's Romans 1, starting in verse 21. It says, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are full of all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. So Paul there in Romans, he's really painting a picture of men and women who know the truth. Okay, verse 21 said, For though they know God, they did not glorify God. Why didn't they glorify God? Because their heart's capacity for awe was already full, and it was full of sinful and futile pursuits, And as a result, God turned them over to the desires of their hearts. The same thing is what we have going on here. At the end of verse 4, it says, lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Okay, this is misdirected love. And the moment a man makes his own will the center of his life, he'll see relationships destroyed and obedience to God becomes impossible. Okay, now... I think it's important to remember, we, we can't be naive enough to believe that we're exempt from this battle of all wrongness or, or this misdirected love. Okay, if we don't sense the struggle of this, the pull of this to some level or some degree in our hearts each and every day, I'm here to tell you that we're deep in the trenches of this war already. Okay, when I moved to Boone 13 years ago, I began, uh, I really was able to put myself in a big control seat. Okay, moved out of my parents' house, moved up here to Boone, had a full-time job, bought a house, uh, upgraded my car. I began managing bigger picture finances. Okay, and the freedom of this control felt good. I began, though, trying to grab hold of some horizontal things to fill into this control and fill my heart with, and one of those things was alcohol. It started out, alcohol was something that I would just do socially with some friends or some coworkers. Um, and then it morphed into something that I would just do in my home by my own self or by myself. And then it changed to something where alcohol was the center of what I was planning my days around. Okay, I grew up in a home that was in church every day, and my parents, they're here today. My parents did an awesome job of raising me in a home that glorified God. But alcohol was beginning to fill a place of awe in my heart. I was beginning to be a slave to this alcohol. But hear me when I say this. God in his goodness and his grace, many years back, in his goodness and his grace, he gripped my heart. He rescued me from the hold of that alcohol, uh, that alcohol addiction and that alcohol bondage. Okay? And what's hard, though, is, is this battle of misdirected love that we all face. We're grabbing hold of these horizontal things all the time. And this battle that we all face, it, it never seems to let up. It doesn't matter whether you've dedicated your life to Christ or you've not yet surrendered your life. We all face this. To different levels, we all face this battle. But God's grace is here for the struggle. God's grace is here. And his his powerful and unrelenting grace, it, it, 
it aims for the, the rescue, the transformation, and the deliverance of our hearts. Again, whether you're a believer, you're a non-believer, we all sit at the same level at the foot of the cross, and his grace extends to all of us. So we've been talking about misdirected love, a heart that has misdirected love. This is the result of the Garden of Eden. What I want us to do for just, just a few seconds here is just to reflect personally, reflect on the grace of God, how it's been showered over you day after day after day by an unrelenting God who, who just wants to continue pursuing you. So just for 10 or 15 seconds, close your eyes and just allow your hearts to be captured by the grace of God and thank him for that. Psalms 145, it reads, I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wonderful works. Only when we stand in awe of God's glory, his splendor, his goodness, his majesty, the list could go on, but only when we stand in awe of those things, allow our hearts to stand in awe of those things, will we ever be fully satisfied. All right, let's move on to verse 5 here. At the end of verse 5, Paul knows the susceptibility of Timothy as he's warning Timothy about these things. So he says, avoid these people, these deceivers. He says, avoid these people. Uh, if you didn't catch it in Romans, it said, um, they, speaking about the people who are supposed to avoid, they not only do these things, the detestable acts, but they also applaud others who practice them. First Corinthians says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good habits. Paul knows we're in the end times. He knows the evil we face. He knows the destruction that's coming, the intensity of this, this deception that these people are going to bring. So he would flat out tell us, if he was sitting here today, he'd flat out tell us, avoid these people. Now, it can become, and I'm guessing the same is true for many of you, it can become very easy for me to be complacent as I go through my day. Okay? I interact with a lot of people during a norm, normal work day. A lot of these people are ones who I've grown to trust and who I, I would even call my friend. And I find myself more often than not being influenced by the things that they say and do. And then I find myself doing those same things. And these people aren't even believers. They don't even follow Christ. Okay, so like 1 Corinthians says, bad company corrupts good habits. It is so important that we fight complacency each and every day. And the friendships we develop and the conversations, I'm not saying you can't be friends with people, but fight complacency in the conversations that you have with these people. It's also important for us to spend time every day, whatever time that looks like, whether it's in the morning, afternoon, or night, spending time refocusing your heart. Recalibrate your heart. Allow your heart to, to be captured by the goodness of God, by the love of God, by the truth of God, so that when we enter these friendships, our hearts aren't going to be deceived by this corruption. Does that make sense? Hopefully. All right. Thank you for answering. <laughs> All right, verse 6. Let me read verse 6. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. All right, so if you're here and you find yourself contemplating, why is this only talking about women? Just hold on, I'll kind of broaden this a little bit. But we have Paul here who's warning. Uh, He's saying there's going to be a group of people Um, And I think this group is going to be even more ferocious than the generally deceived lions that he's been talking about. And he's saying this group of people is going to grab hold of the spiritually weak so that they can get into the heartbeats of our homes. Now, 
he does mention women, and I don't, I don't know if there was uh, a substantial amount of spiritually weak women in Timothy's church. That may have been the case. I don't necessarily think that's the fact today. So I think Paul would be okay with us broadening this a little bit and saying it doesn't matter. We're talking spiritually weak. It doesn't matter whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're a teen, whether you're a child. These lions aren't going to care who you are. They're going to grab a hold of you, and they're going to do whatever they can to get into the heartbeats of our homes. So men, I want to talk to us for a second. We have to understand Paul is talking to Timothy, who's a male. And he's encouraging women to lead, or he's, he, excuse me, Paul's encouraging Timothy to lead women wisely in his church. Now, all of us, I don't think there's any full-time paid pastors here, but all of us, are in our uh, scripture outlines that all of us are to be the male spiritual leaders in our homes, Right? So when I read verse 6, I'm challenged to lead my spouse, to lead my kids, lead my, lead my family in a way that never gives room for a lion to enter our door. But how do we do that? As a male in today's society, how do we do that wisely? I think first, there's a lot of ways we can do that. But I think first we have to understand that this love affair that we talked about earlier, we have to understand we cannot battle this alone. The pull of this, the, the tension in our hearts, we cannot battle this Alone, And the more and more we try to do that, the farther down uh, this hole that we go. And women, the same is going to apply for you. Like I said earlier, this misdirected love is a result of the Garden of Eden, and it's going to affect us all. Um, and our, I, our only hope is for a rescuer to come and to free us from ourselves. And thankfully, God's forgiving and unrelenting grace is infinitely more powerful than this misdirected love that really kidnaps our hearts. And his mercy and grace is the good news that our hearts were created to meditate on. So hear me. I think the first thing in fighting this or fighting or, or being wise to Paul's instruction is spending time allowing our hearts every day to meditate on who they were created to marvel at. Okay, that's going to be the first thing in leading our families wise and heeding the warning that Paul's talking about. And building off of that, something I love so much about God's church here, Stonebridge Church, is the awareness to the, that our leaders, men and women, have to the, the deception that faces all of us. Okay, the, we have men and women leaders here who create countless resources every week that we can plug into and be a part of to help fight the deception that's out there. And we tailor towards men, women, teens, children, the whole gamut. Okay, we have women's Bible studies, women's retreats and seminars. We have men's Bible studies, men's retreats. We have connection groups. We have marriage retreats, date night events, children's Sunday school. We have child-focused public events. We have youth group, youth events and retreats, worship nights. We have a home for a while program. And we have staff and elders who prioritize one-on-one -on -one meetings to help strengthen others. Okay, so if you are not involved in any of that godly community, here at God's church, you need to pray about getting involved. What Paul is warning us about is true, okay? These deceivers are going to come. They're going to continue, and it's going to be, the deception is going to be fierce. We cannot fight this alone. We need a great cloud of believers around us to help fight against this. So please be in prayer about how you can get uh, involved in godly community. All right, verses 8 through 11. We're going to work through these, these couple of verses, and we're going to close here. I don't know how long we've been up here, but verses 8 through 11. 
Paul's going to be using two things here in these, these verses to really point towards hope, and we're going to see it through the power of God, which is an awesome thing to marvel at. So let me read this real quick. 8 through 11. Just as Giannis and Yambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regards to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Giannis and Yambres. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and suffering that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystria. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. So to start, we have two men here who many of you have maybe never heard of before, and it's because their names aren't listed anywhere else in Scripture. We have Giannis and Yambres, who are two magicians, and they're, they're believed to be uh, the two magicians who resisted Moses in Pharaoh's court. So back in Exodus, we actually see Pharaoh who perfectly displays all wrongness. If you go back and, and recount that story, he is perfectly displaying all wrongness. But we have God who's really calling Moses and Aaron to come along and to perform several miracles in front of uh, Pharaoh. So you see God who turns a wooden staff into a snake, he turns a river into blood, and he sends a plague of frogs into, to, into Egypt. And Giannis and Yambres, these magicians, are able to use their magic to mimic God's power, and they're able to do those same three things. Where it starts to, to change here and where we see these two magicians' foolishness begin to be revealed is when God sends a gnat, or a, yeah, gnat, gnats into Egypt. These two aren't able to do that. And when we, we begin to see uh, God's power further distancing his might from these sorcerer's tricks when, he, when God sends boils into Egypt, guess who ends up with boils? Giannis and Yambres, right? So Paul's using these two men, Giannis and Yambres, to show that as the return of Christ grows near, people like these two will grow in strength. Okay, the hearts of believers and unbelievers uh, they're going to be challenged, and Paul's trying to encourage us, even in verse 9 when he says, but they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all. Okay, these deceiving lions are not going to be limitless. Did I say that right? Yes. These deceiving lions are not limitless, and their attempts at deception are going to be futile. They're going to be detected as long as our hearts are continually gazing upon the truth of who they were created to gaze upon, right? As long as you're recalibrating your heart every day and allowing it to gaze upon God, we'll be able to detect the deception of these, these people Paul's warning us about. So in verses 10 and 11, one last example here, Paul's working to really encourage Timothy to point out the areas that Timothy has faithfully walked with Paul and really exemplified spiritual maturity over the years. Okay, Paul's Reminding Timothy of when he was kicked out of Antioch, he, he goes on and reminds him of when he was nearly stoned to death in Iconium and Lystria. Paul's walked through some persecution, and he's taking an opportunity to remind Timothy of all of those things. And in verse 12, he even tells him, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, he's telling us that same thing. There will be persecution to all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. But what does verse 11 say? What persecutions I endured, and yet who rescued me from them all? God. The Lord rescued me from them all. Kind of reminds me of Psalms 91. The author is writing Psalms 91 from the perspective of God, as though God is talking 
to his children. And he says, because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. So Paul's warned Timothy about the persecutions, or he reminds him of the persecutions they've went through. He's warning him about the persecutions that are coming, the deception that's coming. But he's also trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, you're a child of God. God knows your name and there's shelter in the shadow of his mighty wings, and he would tell us the same things today. So, Ben, you can, you can come up here. As we close this message out, I want to reflect on the power of God. Okay, I want to give our hearts a chance to kind of look through the bleakness and ugliness of all these attributes, the deception that's coming. And I just want to reflect on the power of God. Okay, Isaiah 40 says, He is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. Okay, God has no limits. We all know that. The omnipotence of God reminds us that nothing is out of his control and the power of God is not used for evil like, like the men, the, the attributes Paul's warning about. The power of God is used to capture our hearts and to draw our hearts more in line with his. So I want to read a little bit of Psalms 145 to allow our hearts a chance to just be captured by the awesomeness of God that I'm going to pray and we're going to go into worship for uh, two songs, I think. Remember, it's one thing to stand there and to, to speak words, to sing words. Okay, it's another thing to allow your heart to worship God as we do this. Allow your hearts to be captured by the goodness of God as we worship. Let me read Psalms 145 and then I'll pray. Starting in verse 14. The Lord helps all who fall. He rise, raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him, and he hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, and he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. God, I thank you for your holy name. I thank you for your goodness and your patience over us, your kindness, your peace. God, I thank you for just ruling supreme over our lives. God, I pray that as we go out this week that our hearts will just marvel in your presence. They'll marvel in your glory, God. I pray that we'll be diligent in spending time allowing our heart's eyes to just be cast towards you. I pray that if there's anybody out here today who doesn't know you as their father, God, who hasn't surrendered their life to you, I pray that your spirit will just be so heavy on them, your love will be so heavy on them that they will just have nothing else to do but just to surrender to you. God, your salvation is a free gift, and we thank you for that. We thank you for for rising from the grave so that we can worship you as that, that last song sang that we, we or that last, last song spoke about, God. We just thank you for this day and we give this time to you. It's in your name, God. Amen.